you guys can all have a seat. Uh, those of you, I think, guess where, if there's any seats in the back, if you can raise your hand, uh, some people trying to get some seats, that would be very, very helpful. So, today is Easter where we celebrate Jesus being raised from the dead. One of the biggest days in the day that differentiates uh, our God from any other God, that uh, our God loved us so much that he sent his own son and pursued us to restore the relationship uh, that, that, uh, uh, that he created us to have with him. So uh, we're going to be looking at that today and kind of wrestling with uh, the idea of expectations. We all go through life and we have different expectations about different things. Uh, but before we jump into that, this is what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to turn to somebody, preferably someone you do not know, and ask them this question. What was the best surprise gift you've ever received? Go for it. All right, come on back, come on back. So what was the best surprise gift you have ever received? Anybody like to share? You have to say your name before you answer. My rank. and Kevin Ferner is my name, and we agreed. It's family. The best gift I ever received, I never thought I'd get it, is I now have a wife and kids, and that is awesome. Awesome. Yay! Uh, I'm Brandon, and the best gift I ever received was when my mom put a collection of my poems together all in a book and came out of nowhere, and she had typed it up and stuff for me. It was awesome. Aww. Thanks, Mama. Love you. <laughs> that was nice. Would you like to rebut that? No. It's, it's Christian poems, and he does a really good job for as young as he is. It's really good insight. Oh, cool. Yay! Everybody else like to weigh in on this? All right, the whole family here. <laughs> Um, my name is Casey, and the best gift that I ever received was just God coming into my life unexpectedly. Oh, wow. Cool. Thank Very you. Cool. Very cool. Wow. <laughs> uh, I was thinking about this, and the best gift that I uh, ever received, at least surprise gift, was when I was uh, seven years old. Uh, I was at baseball practice, and usually my dad would hang out and watch the baseball practice, but he didn't this time. And uh, he went away, and when he came back, uh, he walked up and he had this uh, paper bag uh, with him, like a big old uh, shopping bag, like Publix bag, and uh, he put it over my head. <laughs> and like, I think, I think back on that, and you know, it's like, well, good thing I didn't have like low self-esteem or something. <laughs> Or, you know, you probably couldn't do that today because all the cameras and everything, and he'd get, like, arrested. But so he turns me around, and, and he starts walking me uh, to his uh, El Camino that he used to, used to drive. Yeah, and uh, it, it was black and yellow. It was like a big bumblebee. Ooh, yeah. And he got me there, and uh, he took off the bag, and... And uh, right before me was uh, a motorcycle, a, a Honda 80 uh, cro uh, motocross bike. And I was so excited because my whole family uh, rode bikes. Even my mom, I think back on it now and like what a scary thought that is. But, but uh, you know, we just, we were the motocross family and, and we rode around. And it was just, it was this, this moment of just sheer excitement. And I was you know, and I had all of these uh, kind of different 
expectations about what it was going to be like because uh, we used to have the motocross magazines and we would uh, have all the pictures of the guys, you know, doing these, you know, double jumps and all this kind of stuff and all the bikes were all cool and shiny. And when I, I got to the reality of it, uh, there, there was a lot of work involved. It was dirty. It was, it was difficult. I mean, it was a lot of fun, but it, it wasn't the ideal that I, I thought it was going to be. And a lot of times we can be misled by expectations. And when you really look at the Easter story, the story about how uh, Jesus was crucified on the cross and rose from the dead, there's, uh, you look at the story of the people around them, you look at the disciples and the other followers of Christ, and they're all really dealing with uh, expectation crisis. And I think that this is really important as, as we go through life. I think that we can learn a lot by how they handled the gap between what they expected and what they actually experienced. You know, we all have expectations. Uh, when we go to a movie, we see the trailers or we hear what the critics say and we have an expectation if the movie is going to be good or it's not going to be so good. When we buy a house... We have expectations that it's going to be sound and, and it's going to be a good house or a car. We have all these kind of different expectations also in relationships. You think about it, you meet somebody and you think, you know, oh, wow, you know, this person's going to be my best friend or, or this person's going to be great and they're going to really add to my life. Or you really think about it as a pastor's perspective, you think about people getting married. And it's always so interesting to me as I, I'm sitting there and, and uh, these two, you know, beautiful young people are sitting there and they're so in love and they're looking at each other and I'm just sitting there going, you have no idea. <laughs> yeah. and, and it's kind of interesting, you know, we're kind of we're lied to thinking, you know, uh, all of our lives when we kind of buy into this expectation of, of you know, when, when we get what we want, our lives are going to be fulfilled. You know, there used to be a lie that, that uh, parents would tell their, their children about the, the, you know, the knight in shining armor would come and, and pick up their girls and, and swoop them off their feet. And, and time and time again, what they found was when they got, the knight got his armor off, he had, you know, a beer gut and, uh, and, and a bowling shirt on. And it just, it kind of just shattered. And there's always these gaps between what we expect and what the reality is. When I was growing up, uh, when I was a teenager, 17, 18, 19, I really wanted to be on the AVP circuit, which is uh, volleyball, professional sand volleyball player. I, mean, I was on the court every time I could be on the court. And I was so into it. I mean, I would actually uh, take a volleyball to bed with me. And I would sleep with it like as a teddy bear. And, and after repeated shoulder injuries and dislocations and then realizing that I, I had a severe case of the ne negative vertical jump, that I realized that the, the best, best volleyball player, are the only, I was only going to ever be so good and maybe be able to play in city leagues and trying to adjust that. I've talked to several people who actually do have talent, who, who, you know, are on the road to being a pro, you know, football player or a baseball player, and they have a catastrophic injury along the way. And 
and having to readjust what life is meant to be. They expected to be a professional player. They expected all these things. But the reality is that life happened, and they had to readjust. All of us go through this, this same kind of process, maybe not in such a dramatic way, but as we're children, we're growing up, and we think we're going to be wealthy or famous or we're going to be beautiful or all of these kind of things. And then as we go through life, we realize that life isn't that easy and life isn't always fair. And there's this gap between what the reality is and what we expected and how we adjust will really dictate how well we do this life. You know, when our expectations are shattered, our emotions can go from a range of just being frustrated to being hurt if it's from another person or getting angry or we can deny the whole situation or confused or we can just give up. But God is saying that, you know what, many times... These expectations, they can distort our reality and we can be misled them and they're being less led from them. And I think we can learn so much from the Easter story to realize that our expectations are not always the best thing for our life. If you open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 1, it says, But very early on Sunday morning, the women came to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone covering the entrance had been rolled aside. So they went in, but they couldn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. They were puzzled, trying to think what could have happened to it. It's so interesting if you try to get in the minds of these women. I mean, they're, even though Jesus had told them he was going to from, rise from the dead, they were going to the tomb to essentially embalm him, put, put spices on him. They did not expect him to be physically risen from the dead. They heard him say it, but they must have thought, oh, this is another parable, or if this is a story, this is an allegory, or this is, you know, he's going to rise in spirit. But they were totally shocked about what had actually happened. You know, expectations can distort our reality. They were sitting there and they were puzzled and they were trying to think what could have happened. And it's very interesting, the word here, happened to it. Not happened to Jesus, but what happened to the body. And they expected him to be dead and there was this gap between the reality and what they were currently experiencing. But you can't really blame them. Because when we're expecting something, we, we, get, we deal with new information in a new reality in, in two different ways. First is by understanding. And this, by understanding, we, we take a new experience or information and we try to make sense of it with things that we already know. I, uh, when I was in Guatemala last week and I was visiting different coffee farms, uh, a farmer gave me some green coffee. Uh, he had already picked it and he had dried it out and he gave me some green coffee and I've never roasted coffee before and I was I was kind of excited and and uh, I got home and and then last night uh, I decided to, to roast up some coffee 
And I don't have a roaster, but I got on the internet to figure out how you could uh, just roast it at home. And uh, I found how you could do it on a, on a pan. So I'm sitting there and I'm roasting it and it's turning color and it's smelling great and the oils are coming out. And it, and it, and it turned out to this, be this beautiful thing here. And uh, I was reading along and I never read all the directions at the beginning. I just kind of go along with it. You know, it's like, an, you know, like, what's, how's it going to end? Well, uh, I guess you're not, you're not meant to grind coffee after you roast it for at least four hours. And that would have had me drinking coffee around 10 or 12 at night. And I thought that wasn't a good idea. So I put it, I put it aside and, uh, for, for the morning and I, I, I had like all these dreams about this great coffee that I was going to drink in the morning. I was so excited. You know, I roasted it myself. I brought it to Guatemala and, and everything. And, and that's the next way that we, we process, you know, new information by understanding. I, I got it. I understood it looked like what coffee should look like. I mean, it's dark. It's oily. It smells good. I mean, it, it's what it's meant to be. And then the next way that we, we process information and how we make it part of our lives is by using it. So uh, this morning I got up uh, around 5 a.m. And, and I grabbed my, my grinder. And I'm like such a good husband. I went into the laundry room and shut the door. And I ground the coffee so no one would uh, be awakened by it. And uh, I came back out and I, the pot was boiling and I put it in my French press and I wait the five minutes and, and I pour and I, I, I take the first sip and <laughs> it did not meet my expectations. I don't know what happened somewhere along the line, but it was really bad. In fact, I brought this for you, Jamie and Heidi, so... Uh, uh, <laughs> Uh, maybe you'll like it. Uh, it just wasn't there. And, and this is how we process things. When we have expectations, we learn things, we use things, and we try to mold them into what we know and, and, and in our past experiences. But the problem with the resurrection is that you can't, process it by understanding and you can't process it by using you see not a whole lot of people through history have raised themselves from the dead i it just is not something that's common it's pretty unique so we we have the women here and and and, and we sit there and, and i think that we have a tendency to criticize them we're like well jesus told you that he was going to raise from the dead and I, I just, I, I, it just went over their head for some reason. Maybe because it never happened before. So maybe just because he spoke in parables, but they didn't take it literally. And then they're sitting here and they're faced with the reality that is quite far from their expectation. And so many of us approach the empty tomb this way. That we expect something. We come to church and we expect something. We're not really sure what it is. I was given an article this week. Uh, it was in the Democrat, excuse me, USA Today. Uh, I, again, there's my don't read the directions or titles or anything. 
I'm, like, I'm the guy who, you know, you ask me who the author of the book is, and I have no idea. Uh, but it's interesting, uh, on Thursday, March 20th, the headline is, Is Sin Dead? And uh, it says, Yet as Easter approaches, some pastors and theologians worry. How can Christians celebrate Jesus' atonement for their sins and the promise of eternal life if his resurrect, in, in His resurrection if they don't recognize themselves as sinners? And I think that a lot of people come to church, especially on Easter, and they, they expect to get beat up by this, this word sin. And I, I went to continue reading, and they, uh, they interviewed the Pope, and he seems like he'd be an authority on sin. So, you know, that, that was good. Then they, then they uh, interviewed this other, uh, this other guy who doesn't like the Easter Bunny very much. And then they, they went to a poll. And they asked Americans, what is sin? And it's kind of interesting. They have all these different things. And we're such a poll-driven country, aren't we? And, and it was, as I was reading it, it was like uh, 81% of Americans say adultery is sin. I'm like, okay, you know, I don't know what's up with the other 19% there, but uh, <laughs> racism, 20, 74% is sin. Using hard drugs such as cocaine, heroin, meth, LSD, 65%. And it just kind of goes down, uh, uh, you know, just what different people perceive as sin. And then the article goes on, and it, and it makes, I think, the logical conclusion that they think sin is this relative thing. Like, if it's bad for you, you think it's bad, then it's sin. If you don't, and it, it, it's not. And it's this constant moving target. And I, I just, I really think that that's a perverted understanding of, of, of this concept of sin. And I don't blame Americans uh, or people thinking the way they do about sin because sin is, is, this, is this word that it's almost this Christian four-letter word, you know, that, that people have used to, to condemn people and 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 to cut them down and to shut them up. It has this very, you know, this connotation that, that, you know what, you're not part of what we're doing. But nothing could be farther from the biblical account of what sin is. You see, if I could make a, a simple-ish uh, definition of sin, this is what I would say. We have God's perfect will for our life. See, God created us to have a relationship with Him. And He has a vision for our life. And many times we expect something different, that we try to do something different. And when we don't fulfill the vision that God has for our lives and we uh, try to take shortcuts or, or we uh, take a path of our own selfish ambitions, there's a gap there. And that gap between God's perfect vision for our life, His will for our life, and our vision for our life, our expectations, our selfish will, that gap 
is the biblical explanation or definition of sin. And, it, and God says in his, in his word, says all of us have traded his will, his perfect will, his vision for our lives for something less. And it grieves his heart. And when we do this, we put a, a, a chasm between him and our creator. And our heart yearns and our heart breaks because we were created to have a relationship with God. That God is a relational God. We often say here that life boils down to having a right relationship with God and a right relationship with people. If you can get those two things right, everything else will fall into place. So when we expect things, many times those expectations distort reality and we can go down this path of expectations and it, we can go down it so far that we end up in a place that we don't even know existed or ever wanted to go there. In verse 5 it says, Suddenly two men appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed low before them. Then the men asked, Why are you looking in a tomb for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He has risen from the dead. Don't you remember what he told you back in Galilee? That the man, Son of Man must be betrayed in the hands of sinful men and be crucified. And that he would rise again on the third day. Then they remembered that he had said this. They're like, oh yeah. He did, I thought... I think he did say something about being raised from the dead on the, on the third day. I don't know. I don't know what he was talking about. And there's in there going, oh my gosh, it all became clear. And their, their expectations were totally shattered at that point. They expected to find a dead body. But what they found instead was a risen Lord. Dick Vitale would say, serendipity, baby. Something, something strange and, and unusual, a great surprise. And the truth is, when we have shattered expectations, when our childish view of the world gets shattered, we so often get to experience so much more. You know, I just shudder at the thought if I could jump and, and hit volleyballs as hard as other people. What path would that have taken me? I probably would have been self-consumed and never had the joy of being with my wife and knowing my kids and being here with you guys today. You hear this story time and time again of people who go down a path and they think and they expect one thing out of life and then it's crushed and those expectations are shattered and if they respond correctly, and they look upward instead of inward, then they get to experience something entirely different. Because out of the shattered pieces of our life, God raises us into true significance. In verse 9, after all this happened, they rushed back to tell his 11 disciples, 
and everyone else what had happened. The women who went into the tomb were Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and several others. They told the apostles what had happened, but the story sounded like nonsense. Luke, the writer of this gospel, was a medical doctor, and this word nonsense in the Greek, he used a word named laros. The word is called laros, and this is a medical term, meaning actually delusional or crazy. That they sounded like crazy women coming up and they're dying. He's alive, he's alive. He's not in the grave. He is risen. We saw two angels. Their expectations, the men who walked with Jesus in his footsteps for three years didn't expect it either. They're sitting there and when they were told, they thought they were crazy. They didn't believe it. However, Peter ran to the tomb to look. Stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings. Then he went home again, wondering what had happened. Underline that word wondering in your Bibles. That's an important word. You see, wonder is the seed that grows and breaks apart our preconceived notion of what life should be. And we start to experience something totally new. It's the starting point where we break the chains of childish expectations that we're going to be rich and famous. We're going to be powerful. We're going to be the greatest athletes. We're going to marry Prince Charming. We're going to date Angelina Jolie. All of these kind of different things. At this point, where the breaking of those expectations those childish expectations that we get to experience life in its fullest. It's the crossroads from where we go from ignorance to true enlightenment. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, he says, It's like this. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child does. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly, as in a poor mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. You ever have somebody who says they know everything? They have it all figured out? Well, I think if anybody would be able to stand up and say, I know something about Jesus, I know something about God, that would be Paul. And Paul's sitting here saying, look, we see things imperfectly in a poor mirror. And I know now that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely, just as God knows me now. Then listen to verse 13. There are three things that will endure. What's going to endure in life? Paul's going to tell us. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. See, when I was a teenager, I knew everything. I was the smartest man alive. You just asked me. I mean, I just, I, I, I don't know what it was. But, but along the way, I started forgetting things. And, and things started getting foggier. And it was weird because my parents were getting smarter and I was getting dumber. 
And, and, and I don't know what happened. But maybe, just maybe, the more I experienced, the more that I learned, I realized that I was looking at life in a poor mirror. And what I thought was true, and what this preconceived notion of what life should be like, as those expectations were shattered, and I started realizing that God was much larger than my mind could ever wrap around. Paul talks about this in Philippians chapter 3, and I'm going to close with this. In verse 7, Paul used to be a religious ruler of the day before he met Christ. He was important. He was zealous. He, he knew all the laws of Moses and upheld them better than anybody else. And he says, I once thought all of these things were so very important, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yet everything else is worthless when compared with the priceless gain of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage. The literal translation there is actually animal excrement. He, he uses the most disgusting, gross thing, the most worthless thing that he can think of right there. No recycling. This is the most disgusting thing. And he says, all of those things, all of those high religious ritual, all of that knowledge that I thought I had and was useful amounts to dung. And he continues, says, so that I may have Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own goodness or my ability to obey God's law, but I trust Christ to save me. For God's way of making us right with him depends on faith. As a result, I can really know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I can learn what it means to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that somehow I can experience the resurrection from the dead. You want to experience a resurrection? You want to experience something miraculous in your life? Guess what? You have to experience suffering and death first. The death of our expectations, the death of us thinking that we can do this life alone, that we are an island, that we are smart enough and good-looking enough, and gosh darn it, people like us, that's got to die in order for us to experience the life that God has envisioned for us. A life beyond what we could ever comprehend in our limited view. But it takes faith, and it takes hope, and most of all, it takes love. Let's pray. Dear God, I just pray for each and every one of us who are dealing with broken expectations. If that's in just a physical sense or an emotional sense or just spiritual sense, I don't know. 
But I know that that's something that we all have in common, that we all have felt failure. We have all felt hurt and confusion when things aren't of what we thought they were going to be. God, I just pray that you can realign our preconceived notions of what life should be and that we can grab hold of your perfect vision for our life. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand up together.